Rwanda is a very beautiful country. It is a real gem, but it's a very tiny gem. Uh, you can fit, I think it's 24 Rwandas into Manitoba. God has called us to train the top leaders in the Pentecostal Church of Rwanda, which is called Adipur, um, to build relationally with the national executive and pastors, and to help people realize their dreams of reaching others for Christ. We have been going to Rwanda for seven years, and in the past few years, we have been there for five or six months out of each year. John Piper says that mission exists because worship doesn't. And our, our desire is that through our training, discipling, and relationship building, people will know what it is to worship God with freedom. Secondly, it is to love and care for the top leaders in Adipur, which is something of which they themselves say they are in desperate need. When we return to, um, to Rwanda, Rwanda in January, as the Lord wills, we hope to begin the mobile leadership school with training different levels of leaders, beginning with Adipur's national executive and continuing with small groups around Kigali. In the last four years, we have been training in small villages all around Rwanda, which has been very appreciated as many of these pastors are unable to get to Kigali. And we hope to continue this when we return. One national leader, and you heard him on the video, whom we have trained said that if you want to bless a nation, you must equip and empower the pastors and care for the leaders so that they can care for others. The national executive of Adipur have told us that they have been in a very dark place and we have been there with them even after everyone else left. One pastor told us that when he was given his chapel, he felt he was just dropped there and then abandoned. He had no training and no one to go to with questions. We went to his village and trained his pastors, and now he says he doesn't feel alone. He said he now has a mom and dad with whom he can share his struggles. I have been a counselor for 24 years and as such, they asked me to write a training manual on peer counseling. I then went to many areas of Rwanda, training over 350 women. After completing the training, one woman said that they haven't really wanted to listen to the women. They just wanted to give them advice and send them away. Now, she said, they take time with them, realizing that giving advice is not helpful for their future. Another said it has completely changed the way she counsels and also in the way she confronts her own issues. And when we go back in January, I will be working with the Adipur national team that deals with healing and reconciliation as a result, against, as a result of the genocide. We had the opportunity to connect Adipur with Ambassadors Football. And just in the last year, a national football program has been started. We were privileged to go in August to see the, the final um, playoffs of the national teams. This program is designed to disciple children in Bible verse memory, becoming healthy members of their community, the need to stay in school, and using football as a new way of gathering and connecting the children.
In the past, Adipur believed sports to be sin. If the children liked football, which almost all did, they felt they had to either choose Christ or choose football. We challenged the leaders to defend their belief through scripture. Now, there are 2,500 children enrolled in this program in 25 different areas of Rwanda. Adipur would say that they didn't, in the past, Adipur would say that they didn't have a strategy for reaching the more than 2 million children in their church. Many of these children have come to the Lord, have been baptized, and are leaders among their friends. Bridges Beyond International Ministries is a new not-for-profit organization that was started to help us build a team of people who are with us in prayer, people who who are mission-minded and who are interested in partnering with us in order to bring godly training in living and leading with integrity. Please feel free to take one of the prayer cards we have provided in the back. And there's, there's other things to look at. There's some write-ups of the um, things that are there that you can read that are, I think, very interesting. As well as there's a donation form, if you feel that that is something you want to do as well. Our assumption is, as the Lord brings you to mind, that you will pray for us. Would you also consider partnering with us financially in this work of training Rwanda leaders? Thank you. Now, Randy, I can see we have a problem. There's a clock up there that says i got 29 minutes left. And uh, I'm accustomed to preaching in Rwanda. Is there anybody here from Rwanda? We give you greetings from the Pentecostal Church of Rwanda, from the National Executive and other pastors. They say everywhere you go, you have to greet people. And uh, so... We have to do that. That's not in our culture, but it is in theirs. So word will get back to them, and they will say, Ah, Dave greeted them on your behalf. And that's a good thing. So we greet you. Um, I'm going to share a little bit of testimony, and then I'll get into the word. I grew up on the prairies of Manitoba as a white guy. <laughs> Did you notice that? <laughs> and then... God called me to be the number two guy in a church. To not be the senior pastor, but the associate pastor. I worked for 11 years with Andrew Winklefield, who sits here. And the Holy Spirit says, the idea of training people, the way typically it's done is you, you are driving and you tell somebody how to drive. And the Holy Spirit says, you need to move over and have the young people drive and teach them from the second chair. So that's been God's call in our lives. When we were, Jean-Paul Seneza, who you saw, he walked into our chapel in Steinbach, and the Holy Spirit said, I brought him here for you, but he'll only be here for a little while. And while he was here, and we were training him, the Holy Spirit said, I'm going to use you two guys to preach throughout, throughout Africa. He was here as a refugee claimant, and I'd never been to Africa. Fifteen years ago, Bryn Franklin said, prophesied at Calvary Chapel, God wants to use you to impact a nation and a region in Africa. I'd never been to Africa. 
We didn't know. Andrew was there when the words came. So we just keep praying and obeying. So as we were asked to go the first time, I spent a lot of time in prayer and asked the Holy Spirit, what in the world are we going to do? This white guy, born on the prairies, going into this mountainous regions with all African people from the Swedish Pentecostal Church, highly conservative, what are we going to do? So it was time for a lot of praying, praying and fasting. And the Holy Spirit put this picture in my mind. He says, you're going to walk into the room and people are going to be sitting there like this, not wanting to be there, angry with each other, top leaders in the church, angry with each other, ready to kill each other. You're going to walk in and he says, before you say or do anything, I want you just to walk in and to look in their faces and observe what happens when you walk into the room. Before you've said or done anything, just have a look. And he says, what's going to happen is hope will come. You're going to walk in and they're going to see hope come in. Because that's what I've called. I have my spirit in you. It's the spirit of hope. Four years later, they asked me, asked us, what's your Kenyan Rwanda name? Because that's a funny thing. Our parents are asking us what our name is. We don't have a Rwanda name because you, the Rwandese, have not given us a name. You're the problem. <laughs> so they solved the problem and they got together and they announced to me that my name was Birinjiro. A Rwanda friend, what does Birinjiro mean? Say again. Hope. What the name they gave us after four years of being there, my name was given hope. Oh, it was such a gift from the Lord. Lynn has a wonderful name. Anybody who knows her knows this is true. Her name means she's a precious one, special one. Don't bug her. Let her get what she wants. Yes, you see? And her name is Morakatete. And uh, that's a wonderful name. Clearly you're not Rwandan or you'd all be cheering and laughing now. Uh, but that's okay too. But the point of it is that the Holy Spirit wants to use each of us to strengthen and encourage us. And the question is, are we going to listen to him and are we going to obey or are we not? Most of my life I went to the Lord and I prayed and I told him I wanted him to bless me. And then he says, Dave, the problem you have is you come to me with an idea. You want to do it and you want me to bless you as though it was my idea. That's not how I work. So I had to repent of that and come to clear thinking. And I want to say thank you to your pastor, Ron McLean. He's been my pastor for more than 20 years. And there's many times when I've called him just in desperation. And he walks with us. And he prays with us, and I just want to say thank you. Mary, thank you for your husband. He's a good man, you know. I don't care what anybody says. He's a good man. <laughs> okay, now the message today is be, beware of what you listen to. Um, we're talking about what informs us. I did a, a serious study. Rwanda in 1994 was called the most Christian nation on the planet. 98% Christians in Rwanda. And in a hundred days, a million people get butchered and killed. And I had to come to grips with that in my brain. How does that happen? I was convinced, surely those 90% Christians could have stopped the 10%, right? But upon looking at it, I discovered it was Christians killing Christians. And I, there's some information on the table in the back and some research I've done and papers on these things and what the Holy Spirit has taught me. If Christians do not believe God's word and practice God's word, anything goes. 
So the message this morning has one point. Read and obey. Check everything with God's word. Everything. Because hearing isn't as easy as it sounds. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. In him you also, after listening, listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Go, go back up. Did, did, was the poem there? The, the lion with the poem? Is, did, did we have that already? It's not there? It's gone? Randy? Back it up. Back it up. One more. There it is. Thank you. There were many times when truth spoke to me, but I did not listen. Often it called to me, but I did not hear it. I was too busy listening to lies. Unfortunately, if you listen to lies long enough, when truth speaks, you cannot hear it or cannot bear it. So we believe lies. And our actions show us that we believe lies. When somebody dies, like what happened here, the enemy sows all kinds of lies into people's heads. He wants to use these special times for people to become discouraged and lose heart. We need to recognize the lies of the enemy and identify them. In Morris, when that young man got killed, 19 years old, six months later when his sister got killed, and we were sitting in the home in Morris with the family, and I was listening for the lies that people believe in those difficult times. We need to be careful that what we're believing and hearing is God and God's word. Because God loves you. He has not forgotten you. His ways we don't understand. But he loves you. So what we listen to informs our worldview. I read there in Ephesians that after listening, when we listen and we hear, we believe, then we're sealed with the promise the Holy Spirit's given as a deposit of more things to come, and we have a different worldview. We view now the redemption of God's own possession. We view ourselves and others as God's redeemed possession For, to the praise of his glory. That's why. Interesting thing that people can come in and say, we've done a scientific study and we've discovered that the tall, slender ones are, are more holy and are more spiritual, are, are better educated and are smarter. We'll call them Tutsi, even though it's got nothing to do with what they look like. We'll call them Tutsi. That's what we'll do. Yep, yep. Because we can identify them from a distance. They're tall and slim and it works to our advantage. The so shorter ones, we'll call them Hutu. Not because Hutu from what the scientists said it was meant anything over there. It didn't. But that's what we'll do, because we can identify those people, they're shorter, and we can tell from a distance who they are. It really works to our advantage. So we'll say one people group is chosen, and is preferred, and is better than the others. And we have throughout history, there's people who say, we are the chosen people. Yes, we are special, we are chosen people. And 
The sad thing is that the special and chosen people typically do bad things to the not-so-special, not-so-chosen people. You see, that's the problem. And the truth is, we are a special and chosen people. So what do we do with that? Well, the amazing thing is 1 Peter 2.9 says, You are a chosen race. Oh, who's the chosen race? The white people. It's got to be the white people, right? I mean, clearly. Maybe it's the First Nations people, the Chinese. Who's the chosen race? You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, out of what you believed into what is the truth. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Sorry. If you have Jesus Christ in you, you have a new DNA. You have a new DNA. My brother, I can tell just by looking at you, we have a different biological heritage. You think so? I think so. I have a good friend. Uh, he was the chief at, at Cross Lake for a long time. You're my brother. You have a DNA in your blood if Christ is in your heart. You have a new DNA as I have a new DNA. And you are now more my brother than my biological brother. More. Because in Christ... We are a new race, a new people group. No longer am I this Mennonite guy. Oh, Mennonite? Which chain of Mennonites? See, instantly kicks in, right? <laughs> See, they understand that. <laughs> and I don't know from what people group you are. Which First Nations group are you from? What's that? Cree. So you're Cree, and I'm Mennonite. And your Cree heritage, you can trace it back. And my Mennonite heritage, you can trace it back. But when I come to Christ, Christ says, okay, Dave, that heritage is true, it's biological, but that's not how I look at you now. I look at you as my son. And he says, and this brother, you look at him not as a Cree, you embrace that, but as a brother. Because in Christ, it's a new people group. Amen? Can we hug? <laughs> I love that singing. Whew. <laughs> you have to come to Rwanda sometime in a great worship time, and that happens, and the Holy Spirit just comes and moves. and whew. So thank you. Jesus was living in a cultural context. He lived in a time when, uh, unlike here in Manitoba, they lived their life out in public, and it was a public thing uh, that Jesus was doing. So he walked around. When we read what Jesus said, I read it about Jesus spoke at some public event in a building. No, 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 no. It was out in the street, out with the people in the public place. Yes, he spoke in the synagogues, but he spoke to the people where the people were. And in their culture, what would happen, if somebody presented themselves as being a little bit smart, then he would get up in a public place and speak those smart things, and other people would challenge him. 
would challenge his smartness and put him down and challenge him. And that was a cultural way of doing it. I quite like it. And as you read the, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they're all set in the Jewish context. They're, that was before there was Christians. That was before. So that was in that, that Jewish context. And they, they come to Jesus and challenge him. And I like the pushback at one point when, when it says the lawyers were upset with him. And he says, you lawyers, you're hypocrites. I love that. It's just pushback. You want to push me? I'll give you pushback. Jesus, what do you say here? He asks a question. He says, I noticed you don't answer my question either, do you? Those were public statements in a public forum, not some closed, quiet meeting. We need to understand that. So we get the context of what Jesus is saying. I got this message the week before Genocide Memorial in Rwanda. I was struggling with the waste of time we were having because for about three weeks, no preaching, no teaching, just we're in Rwanda. I says to the Lord, what's up with that? He says, you're complaining. April, you know the weather was in April. I've got you in Rwanda in April. You're complaining. Then he asked me the question. He says, Dave, when do I do the most in you and through you? How do you accomplish the most for me? He says, when I'm praying. And so as I'm in my twilight zone, he keeps, he drops a word into my mind. Leaven, leaven, leaven. Ah, two, three days later, okay, I, bet I should study leaven. I had this idea, I should study leaven. And I learned a lot of things. And I'm walking and praying, and as I'm walking and praying, the week before Genocide Memorial, the Holy Spirit asked me some questions. Is Dave, you feel like you're wasting your time. Like you're not doing enough. And he says, let me tell you how I see things, Holy Spirit says. What are you doing? So I'm walking around the countryside praying. He says, very good. He says, what has the leadership of this church nationally declared to you? They've said anything we want to do anywhere in Rwanda, but the Spirit says the answer is yes, do it. He says, okay, so you have the authority for the nation. And he says, in what name have they given you? Hope. He says, okay, Dave, let me get this straight. We've got somebody that the national leaders of the church have given the authority of the nation, somebody the people have named as hope, and you're walking around praying and weeping, and you don't think it makes a difference. He says, clearly, you don't understand how I work. Clearly. And I embrace that. It makes a difference. Lynn said that the in, in the Pentecostal Church of Rwanda, it was sin to play football or sport. 60% of the nation is youth. 60% is youth. Throughout the church, we go throughout the country, and we ask the pastors, what's your plan for reaching the youth? They said, we preach to them. This is, and if they're not listening, so well, we preach louder. <laughs> How's that working? Not very good. And I was preaching at a chapel, and I looked out, and there's a football pitch right there, a lot of kids running around, and, and I took a video of it. I walked out, and I took the video of the kids playing, and I came back in, and, and the pastors told us it was a real problem. The kids should be in church. They shouldn't be playing football. We have to chase them away sometimes because they're too noisy. What did Jesus say? Huh? Oh, man. 
So we said to the pastor and to the national leaders, we have a solution for your problem. Oh, how can you help us? We said, the problem is actually not on the pitch. You're the problem. So we asked them to show us biblically. Why are you saying football is sin? It's just a football. And I picked up a pen and asked them a question. Is this good or bad? Ken, is it good or bad? It's good. They would say it was good. So then I went like this. They said, oh, wait a minute. It's not good anymore. Because what made this go from good to bad when I did this? It depends who's holding it. So is the football good or bad? Exactly. Who's holding it? Well, they, de- they declared that they've heard from the Lord. They called the National Conference of all the top pastors, 450, and declared football is not sin. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah! And they said, girls can play football too. And they should wear the sport uniform when they play football, not the long dress. For in the choir, they still want the long dress. That's okay. But on the pitch, hallelujah. Through a series of events, there are now in 25 communities, 2,500 children learning huge portions of scripture from memory. It's called church on the pitch. You have a Bible skill, and then you memorize verses. Then you have a skill, and then you apply the verses to life using the football pitch as the life example of application. It's crazy. It is crazy. 2,500, and that's a conservative number. We've got 75 coaches slash missionaries trained in using football to bring the gospel. Next year, this time, we will have more than 5,000 kids. We will have more than 150 coaches trained. The objective is within five years, we want to have more than 100,000 children. And it's doable. It's deliverable. It's insane. But what happens is if you as a Christian and as a leader hear something spoken that is not God's word, and you apply it to your life and to the church, we make a mistake. And that's an example of taking somebody's teaching and applying it and not checking it with Scripture. And the freedom that comes when you apply Scripture to it. It's amazing. Okay, back to Jesus now. When Jesus was walking and moving around, the Pharisees were here. The Pharisees were the powerful controllers of the law. They knew the law, they taught the law, and they knew everything about it. They were really smart guys. The Sadducees, they were powerful controllers of business, money, and they, together with the Pharisees, could make life very pleasant or very unpleasant. Pharisees and Sadducees. And then there's the government, and the government leaders would put all the leaders in place, in the church and in the country, together with the Pharisees and Sadducees. They were all about the power and the influence. They knew that to get people to do what you wanted them to do, you needed the influencers. And Jesus was the influencer. So they wanted to use him to control him to get what they wanted to his advantage. When that didn't work out so good, they envied him. They envied the influence he had and the power and the control. And they purposed in their heart to have him killed. We're told in scripture that Matthew 27, 18, 
They colluded to kill him because of envy. Envy. So here's Jesus speaking to these crowds of people. The Pharisees are there. The Sadducees are there. The government officials are there. They're all there. Listening in these public meetings as he's speaking. And he is politically most incorrect guy I've ever met. So there, you got to be nice and gentle. So then in Mark chapter 4, verse 23, he says, If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he was saying to them, take care of what you listen to. Be careful what you listen to. There's fake news out there, you know. <laughs> uh-huh. I'll just leave that there. <laughs> be careful of what you listen to, for by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given to you besides. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. It's not talking about money. Be careful of what you're listening to. Whoever has wisdom and understanding will gain more. Proverbs 9 verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom. So then when we reject the Lord, the fool, Psalm 14.1, the fool has said in his heart, there's no God, there's no, they're corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There's no one who does good. If we reject God, we become ignorant. Do you ever meet somebody who's been walking with the Lord on fire, like just powerful, and then all of a sudden they, they choose a different path? That's really a bad path. And then they seem to get more ignorant every day. Downright stupid sometimes. And you go, how is this possible? Well, it's quite possible. Careful what you listen to. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Then in Luke chapter 8, verse 17, 18, he says, For nothing is hidden that will not become evident, not anything secret that will not be known and come to light. So take care how you listen. Oh, so we got what we listen to, and be careful how you listen. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, not what he has, but what he thinks he has, will be taken away from him. You think you're wise and smart? You're not listening with God's ears? You're not testing it from Scripture? You think you're so smart? Guess what? You're not. And sometimes when we come up against some people that are horribly smart, intelligent, and it doesn't take much to be smarter, more intelligent than me, but you just know that there's something wrong. To challenge them outright doesn't always work. So then you pray, Holy Spirit, will you set up the ambush and uncover the truth? <laughs> That's a scary prayer. He is quite capable. Quite. So don't fear. This is the Lord's church. Then Jesus says, beware of what you listen to, the leaven of the Pharisees. Now the Pharisees in Matthew 16, verse 6, and Jesus said to them, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, that's interesting. The disciples didn't get it. They thought he was addressing the culture, the handling of fine food, the finer points of the law, but they didn't get what he was teaching about. They thought he was talking about bread because he was talking about bread. I don't know how they missed that, you know. He's talking about bread. Why is he talking about bread? Well, look at that. Somebody baked some bread this morning. I have to disinfect my hands. So, so this morning, somebody baked some bread. These both have exactly the same amount of flour in them. Both these loaves of bread. 
And truth is that you could eat either one of these loaves of bread and you would probably get the nourishment from the flour and your body would, would benefit from it. This bread... does not have any yeast or salt in it. The flour is still there. This bread ooh, 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 ooh. a little bit of yeast and a little bit of salt. Which one do you want? <laughs> they both have the same food value. Sometimes we can confront people and we do it like this. It's like hitting them with a stick. Maybe it's the truth. And I know this piece of bread really, really well. Because I've read a lot about him. <laughs> when we're filled with the Spirit, it becomes palatable. And we go, I want more of that. It doesn't even smell good. <laughs> Ken, do you want some bread? Yes. Oh, come, get it. <laughs> come. Which one do you want? <laughs> there you go. Help yourself. Munch on some bread. Take some, take some bread, eat, share it with others as much as you want. Yeah, I'm serious. Go for it. <laughs> I noticed the other bread didn't move. I told you it has the same food value. He doesn't care. You know, I've, I, so much of my life I've been this hard guy. That's been me. And the Holy Spirit says, I want to move in you and through you. And what difference do I make? Do you know how much yeast is in that bread? It, it's a quarter of a teaspoon. It, half a pinky. Almost nothing. So Jesus was saying to them, they, they thought he was talking about bread. Then in Matthew 16, verse 11 and 12, he says, How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread? But, but beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They understood that he did not say this, beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Ah, okay, teaching. So teaching was, was warning them to be careful of how and to who they listened. The teaching of the leaders is the leaven. What you listen to is the leaven. It impacts you. It changes you. It gives you a worldview. Whether you like it or not, that's the truth of it. What you and I listen to and accept and believe is how we will behave with people. So if I think somebody who's of a darker skin color is less human than me, I will treat them that way. And if I think me with a lighter skin is superior, I will treat you that way. And you can feel it. And the colored skin person can feel it. 
And you can give them the truth. And somehow it just won't go down. If you don't think it doesn't matter, just a little bit, just a little, it doesn't really make a difference. It's just leaven, right? It's just a little bit. Imagine for a minute you have a 25-year-old daughter who is not yet married. She comes home and says, Dad, Mom, I, I want to talk to you. I have a little problem. Oh, sure, let's sit down and talk. She, I just a little one, no, no big deal. She says, I'm just a little bit pregnant. It's really nothing. It's just a small thing. If you believe listening and believing to stuff that's not the truth is not a big deal, then you would think as a parent, it's not a big deal that your daughter's a little bit pregnant. But it makes a bit of a problem, doesn't it? Luke 12, verse 16, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Whew. I love it. Gee, the, the, the guys are standing in front of him. The Pharisees are standing there and the Sadducees are there. And he says, you're teaching it's hypocrisy, you guys. Woo. So what is hypocrisy? I love it. Matthew 15, 7, 8. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. The people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Ooh, that is the core of hypocrisy. Now, I was taught well as a child. I came to Christ at a young age, and it was great. And when my brother and I would play our instruments in the church, I played the guitar, he played the saxophone, and it was wonderful. And when we played, and the people would groove with the music. And then the elders called us for a meeting. They said, ah, John and Dave, we have, a, we have a problem with you. You're causing us to sin. How was that? Well, when you play, we do this. And dancing is sin. <laughs> dancing is sin, therefore you can no longer play in the church. My brother left, never came back. Bono used to be worship leader. Oh, what you're doing is not good and I accept him. I don't know Bono, but I know he was a worship leader and the leaders rejected him. I know football was a pastor's idea in the UK to reach the youth. And the leaders in the church said, oh, this is just getting too big. Football is now sin. Well, teaching the precepts of man as though they are doctrine leads to bondage. Missionaries first come to Canada. And there they are. And the First Nations people welcome there. I saw a movie about this one time. I forget what it's called. It just really impacted me. And at the end of the show, all their converts went back into the bush and put on their paint. And they said to the missionaries, you came to our country, we welcomed you. You didn't even try to learn our language. You told us our clothes were bad. Our instruments were bad. Our food was bad. And you didn't even try to learn our language. Go away. Teaching the precepts of man as though they're gospel. And we bring a bondage 
When we teach our church disciplines as doctrine, we are teaching in vain. What we end up with is an anemic, impotent followers of man. Anemic and impotent followers followers of man, not Holy Spirit-filled, not Holy Spirit-powered men and women of God. We end up with people who are easily convinced and easily swayed. We end up with people being told to go and kill their neighbor and do it. They go to church in the morning, take communion, go home and pick up their machetes and axes and kill their neighbor. They didn't need a list. They knew who they were killing. And before we get self-righteous, we end up on this side of the water hearing about what's going on and we do nothing. We do nothing. Retaining our self-righteousness. Teaching of the Pharisees, teaching of the Sadducees. You see, the Pharisees, I think, are the, are, are the, Okay, in our context, when I look at things, it seems to me the Pharisees have elected somebody south of us. Religious leaders promoting somebody south of us. It seems to me the Sadducees, the Sadducees who don't care. Is there, is there, there's no life after death anyway, who cares? I think they've elected our government here in Canada. <laughs> That's just my opinion. Some Sadducees... Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12 verse 18, some Sadducees who say that there's no, no resurrection came to Jesus and questioned him. If you don't believe there's a resurrection after death, then <clears throat> Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 12 to 19, I'm not going to read it. He says, we are to be pitied. What, what hope do we have? If there's no resurrection for your husband, then what hope is there? But there is. Then came the morning. Whoo, hallelujah. <laughs> then came the morning. Beware what you listen to. We got the Pharisees. We got the Sadducees. Then we got the leaven of Herod. I love it. In, in, he says in Matthew 8, verse 15, and he was giving... The, orders them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. What in the world is the leaven of Herod? I never knew there was such a thing. Till I read it there in scripture, there it was. Jesus is talking about the leaven of Herod. Well, in politics, now I love it that we have politicians, and I'm grateful that I'm not one. I think the politicians are too. And we say regularly, the pulpit is for the gospel, the podium is for politics. If you're a politician, don't preach the gospel from the podium. You represent all the people. Be careful. And we make a mistake by crossing all those lines and thinking that just because somebody here locally has been elected as a politician, that he should go now to the Muslims and preach the gospel at the Muslim event. No, he should not. He should build relationally with them and connect with them and ask them, who are you? How can I help you? need to be careful. This is politics. Rule number one is get in power. You have to have power. If you don't have power, you can't do anything. Rule number two is stay in power. Because if you can't stay in power, you can't do anything. Rule number three is get more power. 
Because if you only had more power, you could do more good because you know that you are going to do the right thing and can do the right thing. But whatever means is necessary, the ends justifies the means, you need more power. The assumption is the more power you have, the more good you'll do, and that's the answer. So in Canada, we say, well, if only we'd elect a conservative government, then it'd be good. Guess what? No. It's not the answer. If we put our hope in the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the government, we are in a sad place. Luke 13, 31. Just at that time, some Pharisees approached him saying, and he says, go away, leave here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to him, and I love this verse. Again, public form, everybody's listening. They're warning him, Herod wants to kill you. And he said, go tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I will reach my goal. What does Jesus say? Go tell that fox. Fox? Are you scared of a fox? Hmm? There's a fox in the ditch. Children, be careful. Stay in the car. There's a fox in the ditch. No. Who cares? The fox hides and is sneaky and steals chicken's eggs. Your two-year-old can chase the fox away. Jesus says, go tell that fox. Not the bear. Not the lion. Not that big guy we need to be afraid of. No, 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 no. He's so subtle. Go tell that fox. What he's saying, go tell that nothing, that nobody. The guy who thinks he controls my life, he doesn't. He does not control my life. Then we have another 11. Matthew 13, verse 33. He spoke another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid three pecks of flour until it was leavened. The truth, truth of Jesus Christ can seem like such a small thing, but it's like a seed planted. When nurtured and watered, pruned and trained, it grows and produces fruit, much fruit. And the fruit it produces is after its own kind. So, Psalms 119.11, Your word have I treasured in my heart, that I might not sin against you. A little bit of leaven, treasured in there. 2 Timothy 1.14, Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, the spirit which has been entrusted to you. The Holy Spirit is a down payment. It's been entrusted to us. Ezra 7.10, he says, Ezra set his heart to study the law, to practice the law, and to teach the law. Study, practice, teach. Acts 17.11. Now these, he's talking about the Bereans in Acts 17, these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word of God with great eagerness, examining the scripture daily to see whether these things were so. Therefore, Many of them believed. If we adopt that, if every man and woman, we become men and women of God's word. We study God's word. We practice God's word. We debate God's word with the purpose of finding out the truth. Then we teach God's word. And the result will be many, many, many will come to the Lord. Not to line up with your customs and culture and idiosyncrasies, but to the Lord. We'll ask them, what is God doing in you? What are you doing about it? And how can I help you with that? Who are you listening to? Who is informing your worldview? Our actions betray our worldview. Our actions 
betray all of you. What we think of each other, people can feel it. We don't have to say anything. People can feel There's people groups. They know how we feel about them. They can feel it. We need to love them and pray for them. Love them and pray for them. And together. And my brother, my Cree brother, I want you to know, I've been praying now for more than seven years, that we can do something together. And my understanding is that, and I've been to some reserves with people that I've known, and typically people don't hear me so well. It's this bit about the skin I have, you know? It just doesn't flow very well. And I see First Nations brothers, and I've said to some of them, why don't we do something together? Why don't you and I get together? Why don't we pray together and ask the Holy Spirit together? How can we together make a difference with your people? And so far, nobody's taken up my challenge. I want to tell you too, I'm telling everybody in Rwanda to pray for the First Nations in Canada. I said, we need missionaries here. We need the African colored skin and the white skin come together with the gospel. And there needs to be a better way. In Rwanda, Africa, there needs to be a better way. And so there is here too. And there are some places where this amazing thing happens. I'm not diminishing that. It's just, this is serious business. Who's telling us what to do? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, government, who tells us what to do? Who's informing us? Father, I thank you that you loved us so much, and, and we didn't get it. So you sent your son to this earth. You sent your son to tell us of the Father's love and to show us the Father's love. And Holy Spirit, I thank you that you've called Lynn and me to go to Rwanda to tell them of the Father's love and to show them the Father's love. Father, may we understand that. That we are one, a chosen people. We have the love of the Father. So Jesus, whatever of this sermon was not from you, I ask you just to kind of float it away. Burn it up as chaff. Let it fly away. And what is your word, your truth, Holy Spirit? May it settle in our hearts and produce much life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.